0: Hey, welcome to the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden your host i hope you're having a great what do we call it off season i guess so training season puppy season we're going to talk about all of that and more it's beer 30 here in the well the inner sanctum of the upland nation podcast my good friend ben warner hunting buddy except not this season and all around good guy. Uh, We're gonna talk about our seasons, we're gonna talk about your seasons and all the comments you made about that, the highs, the lows, and everything in between, the lessons we've learned, it's all coming up right now on the Upland Nation podcast. We've also got the letter C, kind of like Sesame Street, from our Upland Nation glossary. So if you wanna learn more about, well, the things my English lit teacher said in high school, for that inevitable cocktail party where you want to sound smarter than you really are, it's time for the letter C in our Upland Nation Glossary. It's all made possible by Rufflin Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, and listen up, audiocardio.com. Yeah, go there and figure out what I'm talking about. Before I get into Ben's discussion and my discussion, we got a lot to talk about because we didn't spend any time together in a truck this fall. A couple of bits of news for you. First off, are you going to Fez Fest, Fest? If you are, it's March 11th to 13th in Omaha, one of my favorite cities. Don't ask me why. I'll be signing some very rare preview copies of the first paperback edition of my book. It's got a new title. It's the same book. If you already own it, don't buy another one. But if you don't own it, come on over to Pheasant Fest. I'll sign a few of those and hand them out. Yeah, I have to charge you for them because I have to buy them from the dang publisher. But I'll see you at Pheasant Fest in all of my sponsors booths. So if you listen to this, you know who they are. I'll be in all of their booths. Plus the Huron-South Dakota booth booth in the um, South Dakota Pavilion. All right, some news. Hey, if you live in Michigan, a new state game area is about to open up. It is uh, along the St. Joseph River in Berrien and Buchanan Townships. So next year, you'll be able to chase birds, among other things, over there. And the Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission must have a hard-on for us out-of-state hunters they decided they'd shorten our quail season when we go to visit oklahoma you know they have such a great public access program it's relatively new they got it figured out and now they won't let us hunt it at least for the last uh, let's see let me let me make sure i got it right it'll be shortened by two weeks the first two weeks of the season now it's still gotta be approved by the state legislature so we'll see if the governor ultimately will sign it or not but if you want to make your feelings known now is the time All right, we're brought to you in part by sage and breaker gun care products crafted at the highest caliber sign up for the mailing list get first notice of their sales and the new products that are coming down the road and then you think you know how to clean your gun Watch some of the videos at sageandbreaker.com. Whether it's a Mossberg, a Browning, or Remington 870, they've got videos that will show you the right way to clean your product. And Legacy Sports is where you find the pointer shotguns that I'm using these days, legacysports.com. Their brand new catalog is available online. Take a look at their full line of shotguns from semi-automatics to over and unders, Youth guns, high-end to entry-level, target, field, and they all are available with that new cool Cerakote finish in three different colors. Yeah, I'm still waiting for mine, but eventually they'll get here, and then you'll see them on some of the videos I'm working on. Okay, without further ado, uh, this is a guy who we met first at Big Dog Growler Fills. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that.
1: (laughs) Holy cow, that was a while ago. I'm walking out, he's walking
0: in. Ben Warner says, hey, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. I'll (laughs) buy you a beer. And and from there we became hunting buddies, Facebook friends, and all sorts of other things. Welcome to the podcast, Benjamin Warner
1: warner (laughs) thanks for having me scott glad to be here
0: yeah and um you know i this is it's it's really kind of funny to sit here with the microphones in between us because usually we're next to each other in a truck or we're walking along in some chucker country place uh, and we'll talk about all of that but first
1: um how was your season it was really good yeah yeah it was i had a lot of fun this season Got to hunt behind a bunch of different dogs, a lot of different people, which is very different from like most of my previous seasons since I moved here to Oregon uh, like six and a half years ago. So yeah, it was a good change of pace. You know, it's funny you brought up, you brought
0: up something. I'm just a music major, I don't understand that grammar stuff. Um, you brought up something that I'm going to talk about when it comes to talking about my season. So um, I'll be a little selfish on that, and that's the people, but. Where'd you go this year?
1: No latitude, no longitude, but uh, generally speaking. As far west as the Cascade Mountains and as far east as the Snake River. That's a pretty small bailiwick. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: And overall, in 25 words or less, describe
1: how your hunting season went. Dang, I'm trying to count them in my head before I speak them. But uh, no, seriously it was just a lot of fun running multiple dogs together. Uh, A lot of learning on my part, learning how to appreciate hunting out here in a different way with different people and just new experiences, new places, new friends. Great times.
0: You know, you're like me and and that's actually how it worked with us. Um, we were out here, there training dogs. We had a little group for a couple summers training dogs out behind my place, and and I would share some of the spots where I went, and then you went to some of those, and you shared also not maybe not those particular places, but you were sharing with other people as well, taking people who maybe hadn't gone to those places or maybe hadn't gone hunting very often. Is I mean is that one of your goals?
1: Well, I'm not really too big into sharing spots um, because, for one, I think you rob people of their own satisfaction, especially with chucker hunting. It's really the ultimate adventure for upland bird hunters that they can do with a dog. I think, besides that, the only other thing for an upland bird would be the Himalayan snowcock that you can only do in Nevada, and you can't really hunt a bird with that. But, you know, notwithstanding that, I really think it's the chucker. And a lot of that is the wild country that they live in. And just, like I said, the the adventure is such a big part of it that if you tell somebody, like, right where to go, I think you are robbing them of some of the joy. And when I first moved here, my first season, I think I spent about, like, two and a half months trying to find my first chucker. And I had like a half a dozen different spots that I thought were chucker hunting spots. And I didn't get lucky at all. And then finally, like once the snow was finally pretty thick on the ground, um, I got some chucker and I only found that spot from just doing a lot of internet research. And yeah, I, I just don't want to rob people of their own satisfaction. And I think if you force feed people spots, what that's going to do is it's going to really water down, um, the whole experience and easy come, easy go, and oh, I got it really easy, so I'm just going to share it with everybody else too. And then you're just not really doing. I don't think the the actual animal or the spot service. But you've taken people, yeah. And I mean, I, with the right person, I'll still maybe you know share a couple of pins that um, that have worked out for me um, if I can tell that the person has really been trying hard already, right? And they're just like, man, I've been out all season and it's December now and I haven't found a bird. I'm like, okay, here, you you want your dog on a wild chucker and maybe you want to shoot your your first wild chucker, try this spot. And then usually what happens though, they're like, why don't I just go with you? And then I'm like, yeah, let's just go. So then that's usually just what happens. and. No, I, I get
0: i get that you know you, you certainly don't want to just spoon feed this stuff to people who who aren't willing to work at it um uh, but you're yeah you hit the nail on the head ben and that's something i remember from the old days when i was a, first learning how to fly fish no not when we used gut leaders and bamboo rods but soon after that we, you know i fished the whole first season i fly fished i had no help yeah i I just failed every time I went, but yes, in failure, you learn, and there's a great cliche or two somewhere in there but But you do have to earn your birds, don't you?
1: yeah, you sure do, and I also think that if you just tell somebody like where to go, they don't really understand like why the birds are where they are, and you're also going to hinder their own personal success in the long term, yeah so um.
0: You know, I want to talk a lot about something that you and I share, and that is a a, a long and abiding passion for um, public ground, and and finding it. And granted, this is relevant whether you're a chucker hunter, a Hungarian partridge hunter, or a rough grouse hunter in Upper Michigan, for that matter. It is this land is your land; we own it or we have access to it because we paid for it in one way or another. What do you do when you're looking for new places to go? How do you find a new public access spot?
1: Well, I like to peruse the blogs that are online. I'm a member of different Facebook groups. I read the local news and... I use Onex maps. That works really good. But one thing that that I did is about seven and a half years ago, I was still living in Tennessee, and all my private land spots that I hunted Bob White Quail on were um, changing hands. The actual like original landowner died, and then he was giving it to the kids, and they were they were in love with the bush hog. And they were cleaning it all up and subdividing it and building houses on it. And I'm like, the only place I have that's public land that has any quail is a certain place that borders both Kentucky and Tennessee that I have access to. And I'm like, my place, this is, I mean, getting like 15 quail a year, that's like a good season in Tennessee. (laughs) And just noticing how TWRA, all they care about is deer and turkey, and they don't care about the quail hunter, And then I've always just had a fascination for the West. I was like, okay, I got to get the heck out of here. It's too hot and humid for my big self anyways. And I'm from Wisconsin. What am I doing? Still living in the South. So I I looked like what states out West have the most public land. And actually Oregon is like almost half public land. You know, Nevada is like. Daniel all of it is public 80%. land outside of like Las Vegas <laughs> and like Reno like there's no people outside of those two cities Nevada' is actually pretty cool so, um yeah I know. although there's there a limit for truckers only six when we can get eight so, yeah but, but there, are, there are otherwise to qu- other ways to quantify your
0: experience no I'm, I'm gonna joke share one that. of those with you in a minute
1: yeah but but, but um, so I was looking at Oregon and then I also looked at Arizona because Arizona's got a pretty a pretty good upland game scene there and a lot of public access i just knew that i needed to get west of the rockies and everything worked out and here i still am and yeah i got in when the game was good because i don't think i could move here now no nobody could but in fact everybody out there do
0: not move to oregon uh it's too expensive there's too many antifa guys in the we still have to city. wear masks <laughs> yeah that's right although right about now maybe we're getting out of that all right, so so you and I, you know, we sit here we do this every night. We look at our laptops and we and we we just put on the Onyx map app and we just chase around looking for look good looking places and we explore all this stuff. But do you have a method for any of
1: that? Yeah, I mean, first thing is I just do a lot of research online already to kind of help me figure out like the general areas. I look at the distribution maps and then um, I look at major population centers and I try to get away from all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Because one thing I've learned is if you're going to get up at like four o'clock in the morning to drive like three hours, why are you going to hunt someplace where everybody else hunts just for like some other truck to be there? Mm -hmm. And then you have to alter where you're at or where the birds are getting pressured all the time and you can't get good dog work and if you get a bird or two you're like so lucky that you got that i just try to want to go a little bit farther you know uh, behind the steering wheel and then also just get out so looking at that then just knowing about the terrain features and uh, the water needs and the cover needs of the animal that i'm hunting you know just look at that so i mean it just depends you know with chucker I'm trying to get away from everything, but also my vehicle isn't the best that I have. Mm -hmm. So I also have to make sure that it's accessible enough. Uh, But with grouse, um, I like to hunt a lot where there's these uh, wildlife management areas where they have like old roads that are usually gated. Yeah. And so you have to park and walk. And so I like those. And then you you can really get back into where some of the cuts are. And then, yeah, use Onyx, use Google Earth for, like, grouse, seeing, like, where the, the cuts are. And mountain quail, that's what's cool about Oregon, too, is you can get in mountain quail and you can get blue grouse and rough grouse all on the same day, and that's pretty sweet. You know, it's funny. Just I, don't come here and hunt it. Every mountain quail I've killed has been in Chucker Country. <laughs> but, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of mountain quail. They've done a really good job of reintroducing mountain quail where they were lost out in the Chucker Hills, and you can only get two a day. But, man, that is, they are a really neat bird. Yeah, they are, and uh, being able to get like even just one while you're chucker hunting, or I mean, I had a day this season where um, I was driving into a valley quail spot that I like, and uh, I saw some mountain quail like on this little two track. Oh, I know. And I've, then they I've flew up into the hill, and I've hunted chucker like up above where these mountain quail flew, and it was still it was still pretty hot and warm it was like october i think it was october early november anyways it doesn't matter it was hot and dry still and um i parked and um went where those mountain quail were and there was a lot more mountain quail than i thought there was going to be and getting those two was pretty easy actually bernie did a really good job i actually winged one and uh it went into this little drainage that was just overgrown with these willow type trees and bushes and stuff and bernie pointed it and then um I kicked around, couldn't get to move. And then I told her to fetch and then she went in and I couldn't see the other side, but I could just hear her like chasing this mountain coil all the way down the hill through this thick brush. And this is steep as heck. I mean, me to get up to where her point was, I was pretty muddy and like my elbows were muddy. My hands were muddy. Um, it was, yeah, mountain coil hunting can be kind of crazy depending on where they're at. (laughs) It's funny because I found them on the road. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be easy. But then uh, I, I, found that we got that one up on the hill a little bit and uh, it kind of flew up a little bit more in the hill and then it where i saw it land i wasn't sure if i hit it or not but i was like man it really felt like i hit that one and it, it landed in that creek on the side of the hill where all that brush was so i'm like well we better follow this up and sure enough I, I just broke its wing but she did a really good job of chasing it down bringing it back to me good job and then we got up on top of the hill a little bit and this hill is maybe only like 300 feet tall or something um, which for some of you all in the flatland sounds like that's like the highest point in your state. It's a but mountain. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> and uh, she then she finds another covey, and she does a really good job pointing it, and like a like six go up, which is a pretty decent mountain quail covey, I suppose. And they're kind of spread out there. And uh, bam, I shoot that one, and then she brings me that one. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. We just got two mountain quail. This is great. And they're both really nice mature birds. And then I'm, I look at my Onyx maps. I'm looking at the topo on it. And just trying to get back to my car without having to fall on my, my butt. And I'm like, oh, let's just go over here to where this drainage is. And we'll follow it down. And lo and behold, there's a big, big, like 20 or 30 bird covey uh, valley quail in there. And um, I shot like three. And then actually the third one in that little drainage, um, I watched right where it went down. Bernie did a good job pointing it. I watch right where it went down and it's super thick brush right in there, super thick. And I see her go and grab it. And I'm up on this little like rock cliff that's maybe like 20 foot above all the brush. So I'm able to get some clean shooting. And I watch her grab it. And then I watch her try to start work. She works halfway through the brush and then she gets stuck. And maybe I didn't feed her enough the night before, but that's where she ate her first quail, her first bird. And she ate that whole quail. And then she came back to me. But she was able to find a detour after she ate that bird. Came back to me, wagging her tail, happy as could be. And then I thought to myself, huh, maybe I need to work on force fetch again. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I had one of those this year. I, I used a, a valley quail for a picture a couple times for a magazine assignment. And poor Flick, by the time he was done retrieving that thing five times, he really didn't want to give it back. And I'd felt uh, pretty bad about it having to press him as hard as i did because it was a crappy day for a bunch of reasons so i finally just turned him loose with it and he did the same, same thing
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i couldn't really I mean, the one thing about bernie is she uh something about quail one time she squeezed one that was i think crippled and the guts shot out of her butt right spare me (laughs) and then and then she ate all that and then ever since then yes if um if i don't kill it cleanly if it's crippled or if it's shot up real good yeah it seems like she really wants to try to clomp down on him a little bit which is just uh that's the problem with her no no doubt about it i don't know what it is you know frustrating you you
0: said something earlier and, and and we are you and i together are the shining example of this there's a spot we're sitting on the tailgate two years ago, right over there. And I said, okay, you guys, this is a place that can stand a little more pressure. You should go to this spot, go to, go to that place, cross the bridge, go here and go up that and do that. And you did. And then we <laughs> hunted. I'm so excited. I hit the microphone. Um, and then we did it once or twice together. And every time we went, it, it's, Every time we went, we went a little bit deeper into that country. Oh yeah. And you went even deeper, and then you went even deeper than
1: deeper. Yeah, not this last season, but the season before. Yeah. And and oh my gosh, it was awesome.
0: It was, and and the lesson is, go as far as your tires will allow you to go.
1: Is yeah. I bought Kevlar tires last season just for that. I went as far as to the top of a hill. And this was, so two seasons ago in Oregon, we had a lot where it was freezing at night, but like in the 40s and the 50s during the daytime and full sun and some precipitation in October, November too, where those roads would be really muddy. So if you didn't get out of there by like noon or so and have really good tires and four-wheel drive, um, you probably weren't going to get out or you're just going to tear up the roads a whole lot. And I parked on a spot where uh, I was... Looking down, I have to go down another road to get to where I really wanted to go. Like, I mean, sorry, go downhill that road. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get back out mm-hmm. on my way out. Yep. Like at one or two o'clock. Right. So I parked at the very top of this hill and like, you know what? Let me just look. I looked around. I look at Onyx. I'm like, there's enough elevation. There's some water over here. There's a reservoir right there. Uh, and I just hunted it and it was amazing. I got Hungarian partridge, chucker, I don't think I got quail right there, but then I, I did hunt in the next day, a spot where I always was looking at this Creek that fed into this bigger river. And I really liked the name of the Creek. And I was like, huh, maybe, maybe there's enough elevation difference here. Cause I always thought that you need to have like at least 500 feet of elevation. And you can quote me on the up Trucker podcast episode from was the last season when I was on there where I talk about that, where the, this place maybe there was 300 maybe maybe, i think maybe only 200 feet of different elevation but the key was like besides that creek that fed into that that bigger river that bigger river it was straight up vertical cliffs for a lot of it really inaccessible and the difference in topography was probably about a thousand foot at least right and so i think it just all depends on how the chucker can can quickly get into this scape and just the way the, the lay of the land is and, and how much uh, rock formations there are and whatnot. But it worked out really good. I hunted that, and that day I did get um, a nice mixed bag of Hun's chucker, and some valley quail. But we're getting back to this hunt where Bernie ate that coil. I wanted to finish yeah. that because that was yeah. a cool hunt. Um, she got So we got a couple of valley quail in the bag, and then I moved my car to the more traditional valley quail area some people call them california coil whatever and uh, hunted some of these other little creeks that were tributaries for this main creek and um, got a bunch more valley coil and got a couple of snipe too so that was a really nice day ah, ah. yeah uh, you know worked out pretty good uh,
0: i i i got to carry some some a uh, non-lead shot because i've bumped snipe at least 3 times in the past season and, well, with and this shot. place,
1: my dad shot Snipe before. And every time I go there that time of year, I have found Snipe. So I came prepared. Love it. And I mean, I I bought a couple of boxes of steel from my roommate that thought he was going to bird hunt, but then never did. And so they've just been sitting around. Yeah. And I knew that this would be a good hunt to try them on. I'm glad I did.
0: One question before the break, and that is, what by the way you're listening to the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden the host that's my good friend ben warner hunting buddy training buddy um he's headed for the nabda invitational test this year so we'll talk a little bit about that in the coming segment but first off what was the absolute peak experience for your hunting season
1: this year this is going to be kind of interesting Actually, because uh, it doesn't invert, it doesn't, I'm sorry, invert. It doesn't involve Bernie. It involves my girlfriend's dog, Gravy, who um, we are just running her two dogs. That were, they were right around one year old at the time. And uh, we are hunting our way back. This is Chucker Country. And uh, her dog, Gravy, just made it an amazing find. It was such a good, solid find for chucker and a challenging find for a chucker dog because what you had was you had a very flat kind of tabletop mesa or plateau, and then it was all rimmed with rock, you know, rim rock, yeah. right, all the yeah. way around. And the rim rock was pretty, like, it was like 10, 15 foot tall, except for just a couple little breaks in it. And we were headed for a break and a little horseshoe of the rim rock. And the way the wind was the only way that a dog would find this covey of chucker that were tucked into that horseshoe was if the dog went made a nice downwind cast. And we were actually hunting downwind at the time just to get back to Katie's truck. And he makes a downwind cast and then he gets up along this wall of rim rock and then he goes across the wind along the rim rock and bam Points this covey of chucker that are tucked right in there, about like fifteen yards downhill from him, and um, I just I see that he just went on point. I hustle up and I get over there, and a nice covey of chucker get up and bam I shoot one, and then one right behind it, taking the same line. Bam I dump that one, and both Gravy and uh, her dog Sky, the girl, both litter mates, make a retrieve on the you know on the dead birds. And it was really cool for me. It was memorable because watching those dogs just develop over the season was really awesome. And seeing Gravy just, I mean, that was a challenging find. And it was pretty brushy and rocky. I thought that was awesome. So for me, it was just kind of neat seeing that. I love it. And you mentioned Huns a couple
0: times, and I'm going to tell you, my highlight was much the same. It was a downwind cast, and then – the little the caller tells me flicks on point, and he's three hundred yards up the canyon. So he he went all the way out and then started working back into the wind. Yeah, slammed a point. We got up to it. Um, we both had the luxury of getting into position. The birds got up on their own, but as if they'd gotten the memo, and one went right, one went left. We each shot a bird. Flick went out, picked up one, carried that one over to the other one, thought about bringing them both back, but decided he wasn't quite capable of a mouthful like that. Mm -hmm. So brought one back. I sent him straight for the other one. He did it. But, you know, this was a season of downwind casts and then the dog working back and then basically pinching birds between the humans and the dog. It was... I I can echo your feeling. It was, it was that good. It was really cool. I got to tell you a couple other highlights that I had first off for the second season in a row. I hope I'm not jinxing it. We didn't have any pad issues, no pad issues at all. Someday I'll talk more about, in fact, that'd be a good podcast. All the things that we've done this past few seasons that paid off, uh, second the year before last four flat tires
1: yeah (laughs) remember you're talking about that
0: this year no flat tires (laughs) Woohoo! now i hunted fewer days this past season i killed fewer birds in fewer states you know the record is 12 states in one season that was a lot of license fees this year three states fewer birds but more social interaction quality whatever you want to call that great friendship fellowship whatever and for some reason the dog work and that that find that i just described to you was one of several on that trip with several friends believe it or not where afterwards we sat around that night and said, you know, all you need in a day
1: is one good piece of dog work and it
0: makes the day.
1: Well, as long as that dog doesn't act like a total butthead (laughs) 10 other times and run up, you know, 10 coveys of birds Uh, and you feel like you should have gotten like one out of each covey. Yeah. Good point.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. Hey, we got a lot more to come on the Upland Nation podcast. That's Ben Warner. I'm Scott Linden. Uh, You're going to learn something from our Upland glossary. We're on the letter C. I sound like Sesame Street, but that's okay. We're going to learn about your season out there. And while Ben pours me a little bit more of this, I will give a couple brief commercial messages, starting with audio cardio. Dot com. Yeah, it sounds like what it is. It's a workout for your ears. If you have, you know, maybe shot without ear protection a little bit too uh, frequently, and haven't we all, there finally is a way for you to fix your ears. Now, it doesn't work for everybody, but it could work for you. The joy of it is there's a 14-day free trial, and if you want to choose to go beyond that, the subscription is only eight thirty-three a month for a 12-month subscription. That's right. It's an app. All you need is a set of earbuds and a cell phone. Watch the two-minute video at audiocardio.com, and then when I do that, maybe you'll be able to hear it, audiocardio.com. Doug and Elisa and the crew at roughlandkennels.com are doing their job. I told you about my new kennel from them. It's in the new cool standard color. It's called Millstone. It's kind of a gray, but I'm colorblind, so that's as far as I'll go. They've upgraded a lot of their equipment. What that means to you is they can add stuff to the basic kennel and accessories. Yeah, if you have some of their other products, don't worry, it'll all integrate. But with the new molds they've got now, You can put a few new accessories on top, next to, and connected to your new Roughland kennel, including every model now comes with handles. A little bit easier to carry, a little bit easier to move around in the truck. Learn more about all the new stuff at roughlandkennels.com. Thanks for pouring, Ben.
1: My pleasure. Cheers.
0: <laughs> Prost. Yes. In fact, I, I had a Guatemalan friend last night ask me, how do the Germans say cheers? And I said, skol. And then I <laughs> I should have said, ein Prost. <laughs> which is a great song that we used to play when I was a musician, but that's another story.
1: And the polka band. Oh,
0: God, every polka <laughs> band. Wow. Well, that's what got me to Bend, Oregon. <laughs>
1: Um, Do whatever it takes.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're talking chuckers, public access. We're talking puppies in a moment. But before we debrief further on our seasons, a few comments from some of you that I, 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 I asked on Facebook a couple weeks ago, or maybe more. I've been in California. Don't blame me. I asked you, what was basically, what was the highlight of your season? Dennis Milani says, Hunting rough grouse in northern Ontario with my short hairs, my son, brother, and cousin. Birds, dogs, family, it doesn't get any better. Michael Augello, Michael, forgive me, I think it's Augello. The blind retrieve Archie made on a woodcock that went down in the water. He brought it to hand. He was yelling with it. You ever yelled, Ben Warner? You ever yelled with excitement when your dog did something like that?
1: Yeah, I'm super expressive. <laughs> really? I'm pretty oh. loud too. Yeah, yeah. I
0: I'm I'm I am too anymore. It you know it's it's easy to get me excited anymore. I'm sorry. I apologize, dear Lord. I apologize. But uh, but uh, you know life is good in so many ways. So um, finally, David Laurie says, "The last shot I made on a rooster this year." My son said it's the best shot he's ever seen. There's a line I never hear. The dog was on it as it hit the ground. Well, good on all of you there. And way to go, David, for bringing your son along, too. Ben Warner, hunting buddy and friend, training buddy. Um, What are your goals for this uh, training season?
1: Well, it is to (laughs) make sure that Bernie... Not only meets but exceeds the standard, so she can pass her invitational yeah. in September when we travel down to Albuquerque, Albuquerque. New Mexico. To try yeah. to make sure I don't take a left. I can't wait. I get there. I'm looking for an excuse,
0: and I might have found one for being down there a little early in the year for that place. But that's all right. Yeah, it's gonna be hot. Yes, it is. So uh, plan for that. But uh, if if you're not a Navda member, basically the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. Has a testing system that ends with that. I shouldn't say that. That 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 progresses to what we call the utility test. And you pass the utility test, and then you're invited to go to the next level. You got to be a prize one. Prize one utility test. Thank you. There's a prize one, prize two, prize three. Thank you. Um, see, I, I ne- I'll never reach it. So <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> and and Ben and Bernie. Uh, arrived there and uh, now they are planning to be at the invitational test which I've been to in fact go to my YouTube page and watch the invitational it's on there uh, from we were in where the heck were we for that Ohio I think Ohio I think. yeah with yeah. the English setter yeah watched it yeah. twice yeah we we slept in Pennsylvania uh-huh. we land we we landed in some other state and we filmed in Ohio It was the craziest shoot I've ever been on.
1: I'm going to make sure I bring my olive drab shorts to wear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, I know know I've congratulated you on this because we talked that very night when you passed, uh, at least by text. But um, it's a spectacular test and 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 an achievement to, to be invited. Tell me what were the most important aspects of training Bernie for that to, by the way Bernie is a liver all brown German short hair go ahead and tell me what what that was all about
1: well I think first off you got to make sure you start with the good genetics um, she's my second German short hair that I've had and uh, the third German short hair that I've had been able to spend a lot of time with including my dad's but um I sh- I believe, and I noticed right away as a puppy that she was the first one that I could tell she had potential to do really good in the NAVDA system. Um, she's just got a really good off switch, but she's got a big motor when she's hunting. And I think finding both in a single dog is really hard to do. And um, although maybe she's whining right now in the background a little bit, she's actually pretty quiet. Yeah. And from a young age, I was able to get her to stay in a certain spot and then move out of sight. And I think that can be really challenging for a lot of dogs. And just, it seemed like she just picked up on a lot of just little things that I did from a young age, like sitting while I, You know, uh, got her food ready, have her stay while I open up the door and waited for me to go through first. You know, all that stuff that they talk about that makes a difference. Well, guess what? It actually really makes a difference in building a foundation for your dog to understand that it's supposed to be obedient. And then also, the more obedient it is, the more joy it's going to have in its life. It's going to be able to do cooler things and just being wild is not the way to go. Uh, but I just noticed Bernie just had a lot of potential. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to run her in the NAVDA system. And what's funny about this is that uh, we kind of skipped over her natural ability test. But I ran her at five months, two days old. And um, she was really good at pointing the the wild quail in my yard and the morning doves in my yard. Here in central Oregon, like the high desert, where she's never seen a plate of green grass taller than like three inches. I ran her in the June test in Baker, uh, Oregon, Baker City, Oregon, and uh, there was a field of grass that was like two feet tall. It was all green. I know, that and, she field. Smelled, <laughs> and she never smelled. She never smelled a penrace junker before. <laughs> And when they put, they had to put down a bird for her because she just was not smelling these birds. And uh, they put one down for her, and like I worked her into it, and she pointed it, but you could tell that she wasn't too sure about like if she was supposed to point this bird. And uh, I got my foot under it, and I, I kicked it up into the air like an idiot. No, that, I think that was <laughs> smart. <laughs> and when I did that, she yelped and took two steps back. Oh. Yeah. Well there you go. Uh zero for pointing in the field. And then she did get like a little bit of credit on the, the she did a really good job on the pheasant track. And then she did amazing in the water. She's I swear to god she's half otter or seal. Um but yeah, she failed the NA and I wasn't gonna retest her just because of my own scheduling commitments that I had and how I wasn't I wasn't gonna go to California or Utah for the tests that I could make, uh, you know, for natural ability. So I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, she had the genetic potential there and I wasn't really the best trainer from the get-go, but also trying to find the birds, the pen raised birds can make a difference. Um, and then a lot of it though, for her success in the utility test was her first season. I hunted her a lot on wild birds. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And you got into wild birds. And it's we not, got into not a not lot of walking wild birds. Around no, 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 no. no. In, you know, in public ground. It's so by then wild birds. So she's four years old now. And this was my seventh season. So with Callie, my old one, um, that's no longer with us. May she rest in peace. Um I already had three good seasons with Callie and I already knew where the birds were. So every trip that I went on with Bernie, we got into birds. And Bernie was pointing birds. I mean we got a limit of Hungarian partridge, eight Hungarian partridge when Bernie was barely a year old, her first season. Wow. You know, Yeah. So she definitely had the goods. So then we just trained a lot that following year, that following training season, knowing that I was going to take her to the utility after that next season. And then I took her to the utility in June and, you know, she got a prize one, 204 and that uh, worked out pretty good. Yep. And then also I did the force fetch with her. Yeah. So obviously she ate a quail. Maybe I need to revisit it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I I wrote in my book years ago that dogs understand, I think they really do understand fairness. And when they eat a quail, I think they've decided, well, I did all that stuff for him. It's about time he did something for me.
1: Yeah, and that's why, like, I actually laughed, and I didn't mind it because... That whole season for her utility test, that off season, I mean, I shot so many dead birds for her, or i sorry, I shot so many birds for her, and she had to retrieve so many quickly, no prancing, to p- display it properly, all that stuff. I was just like, you know what? Like, that was so much pressure for this dog that one bird that she eats, like, whatever, it's not a big deal. I and agree. it wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. I agree. I want to take
0: a minute here and and, and share a couple other thoughts from other folks who listen who had great seasons as well. Kevin Butler says his daughter shot her first double. She shot four birds on the weekend. Good for her and good for you, Kevin. Jay Loner says, I had an Iowa pheasant hunt when both my dogs honored a buddy of mine's dog on point. It was great. Let's see. One, two. That's three dogs standing still. I don't think we experienced that this afternoon when we were out there with our dogs. Did we <laughs> no. no, they didn't stand still, but th- they weren't asked to either. And then he added a rooster to the count. And finally, Eric, Hey, Eric Thompson, how the hell are you? By the way, we miss you out here. Um, he said he was driving by the sign. I remember that trip. You called me and asked for a recommendation on a craft brewery. Eric was driving by the sign that read, you are now entering grizzly bear territory, hunt at your own risk. Two separate signs, two separate locations. I'll never forget this one. I So I the first time I was ever in Montana, I'd just started writing for Outdoor Life in Field and Stream, and I'd read a story in Field and Stream about some poor schmo whose short hair went into the, into the willows in some prairie country out in Montana. And the short hair comes out running faster than that guy'd ever seen because it was being chased by a grizzly. The grizzly came straight for the guy. He shouldered his shotgun and had birdshot in it. He pulled both triggers, killed the bear, but the bear landed on him, bent the barrel of the gun. I remembered that story so vividly. I was walking around in a prairie bottom in montana when i put two and two together and realized it was the same damn creek bottom (laughs) we went somewhere that grizzly's (laughs) dead now scott so you had nothing to fear
1: yeah really (laughs) (laughs) he
0: killed it right If, if only that's how it worked so, um, lucky for you, Eric, glad to see you're back in one piece. And, uh, I do expect to debrief any moment now from you. Um, Ben Warner is joining me here at the Upland nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. We are having such a great time because we haven't, I don't think we've seen each other since a training day last
1: week. <laughs> yeah, summer. this is our first time Yeah, since, so, uh,
0: since August. So it's, it's good to, ha- good to have you in the house again and, um, all is well. You've got a new addition in your household, though.
1: Yes, sir. I sure to do. tell
0: me all about. By the way, and welcome to the cult.
1: Yeah, thank you. The, <laughs> the wild hair cult. Yeah. German wire hair pointer cult. Wow. I, do,
0: I like that. I'm going to call them wild hairs for now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how's okay, Daisy doing?
1: Daisy's doing really good. Um, she was quite a handful for the first uh, month or so. And, uh, you know, just patience and persistence and consistency. Uh, Now she's four months old, 16 weeks old now this week. Um, She's doing really good. And she's learning Um, amazing genetics. I got her from Bone Point Kennels. Kelly does a really good job with his dogs. Actually, uh, the two one-year-old dogs that I hunted behind a lot this season. Uh, we're both uh, dogs out of Kelly breeding uh, his sire to uh, a female from Holden Point Kennels. And uh, I already knew about Bone Point, And I already was thinking that if I ever went the, the wire, wire hair way, that he was going to be way up there towards the top as a decision. And just seeing uh, my girlfriend's dogs hunt. And then her old dog that's uh, 13 years old, still get around really good, good confirmation, good desire, um, good attitudes, friendliness, like everything you want in a dog really, um, except maybe for all the energy for some people, but I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was able to get in on a litter and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's working out now. Yeah. Well, she, <laughs> she, she looks good. She's well-conformed. She moves well.
0: Uh, I just met her everybody uh, not an hour ago and she's she's got grace and style in her movement she's just still learning how to run as some trainers call it uh, but for a 16 week old she's she's got all the potential there and by the way those other two one year olds do as well they are very graceful out there so it's it's going to be interesting to watch all of them mature a little bit And and then you can't help but hold a 16 week old up to a one-year-old and, and start kind of trying to draw comparisons yeah. and I, I won't ask you to do that because it's not fair but but it is interesting to have all of all of the raw materials for an experiment under one roof once in a while so good on you thanks um you um, moved out here from way far away D- it is that when you thought well what am I going to shoot at? Or did you say, you know, they got lots of chuckers out there. Is that, maybe I'll choose that place.
1: Well, I always liked it out west, and I liked the big open country. Anytime I got a chance to go out west for work or when I was in the Boy Scouts and we'd go to, like, Philmont or yeah. whatever, back when, that, back when that go was Scouts. a thing. Yeah. yeah um, that just really got me thinking that out west is where I needed to be. And uh, seeing Oregon just had a lot of different variety in game birds. I really liked that. You know, um, living in Wisconsin, the only real wild birds they have is rough grouse. And, um, you know, I like being able to kind of have a view with my hunt and not just um, dodging tree branches the whole time. But um, also, like, you know, just going to South Dakota for pheasants, like, i don't know and then in tennessee like bob white and then maybe when the woodcock come through like you're doing that and maybe some ducks if you can get on um some of the lakes there i just like or i like the oregon i like the variety and uh yeah it's it's nice out here
0: no i agree and i'm also jealous um I, I I hope that I'm saying this correctly, but I think you promised to show me a rough grouse spot sometime. I Which, did. You know, we live here on the freaking hunt. That was desert. before I met you. I know. I think I commented <laughs> on like one of
1: your YouTube videos, like, hey, if you ever want to go rough grouse hunting, I got a decent spot not too far.
0: So we're so. not known for rough grouse hunting out here, but but there are some. It's just like Valley Quail. You know every not Valley Quail, mountain quail. You know every mountain quail I've ever shot has been in Chucker and Valley Quail country. And in fact, at least four and maybe more of those birds were hanging with valley quail.
1: You ever seen that? No, that I haven't seen yet. Uh, But I have noticed, though, that I'm finding more and more mountain quail where the chucker are. And uh, I know the state of Oregon has done a pretty good job of reintroducing mountain quail um, east of the Cascades. So I think they're doing a good job with that.
0: Um, I'm going to tell another story about you and me and and another friend of ours who... um, who's done, a, done us a solid together once, actually. But it, the, the precipitation for this is Huns in Chucker country. Okay, I'm taking a poll. Did you see more of that in the last couple seasons than you've ever seen? I know that's a loaded question.
1: This year, I didn't really see as many Huns in Chucker Country. Yeah. But I also hunted a lot of spots this year that I never hunted before. Okay. So it's hard for me to speak to that. Although, it reminds me that same day where I got those mountain quail and those valley quail and those snipe on the same day, uh, Bernie and I found Huns ah. um, right near the water in a, an area where there's supposed to be no Huns.
0: This is what. I have seen eight times in the last two seasons. No, 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 never. The biologists think I'm hallucinating.
1: I know. We talked about this. Yes.
0: But it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to give a shout out to, to Mark of Olio, our right. mutual friend, because on one of, probably the, now I think about it, the first hunt we did together over in that place we were talking about, mm-hmm. Um, we split up. I, I shot Huns in a place you'd never guess would have huns I'm um, a high desert, ugly, rocky, scabby country, lots of sagebrush, lots of dirt, nothing else. There's no crops, no grass, no nothing. But I got shots at Hungarian partridge in three or four different places. You were off on the other end, I think you killed a couple of quail, maybe more than a couple of quail. Oh, a so. bunch. Uh and then maybe a few chuckers. Yeah. Uh I got back to the truck first. The truck was parked at a little pond. Remember that little yep. oh, yeah. pond? What a what a nice little setting that was. It even had a picnic
1: table. I know.
0: Who dragged that picnic table all the way up there?
1: Whoever lived in that little <laughs> shelter. You're right. That's <laughs> just right. kidding. It was
0: like a sheep herder's <laughs> yeah, from uh, like a stone out or something. But it was so cool. I'll try and put a picture up. I remember that. But so I'm sitting there drinking a beer and and I hear this truck laboring up this hill because that was an ugly hill especially yeah. if you didn't have kevlar tires at the time and it's coming up and it, it looks like mine i'm thinking wow what the oh you know i had two beers and i'm already thinking that's my truck and i'm uh, anyway <laughs> it pulls up right next to mine so i know it's not mine it's somebody else's you get out of one side and you say hey i was walking up the hill and this guy gave me a ride. I said, okay, hey, welcome. And it's Mark Volio.
1: Yeah. My goal is to get a lift yeah. from somebody at least one time every yeah. season back to my car. <laughs> so I've been doing pretty good with that goal.
0: So, so what you told me, check me on this is that you're walking basically down the road. What, what, what suffices for a road out there yeah. in that country. This is by the way, the darkest place in the lower 48. You know, that the New York times says it's the farthest you can be from a hospital and a Starbucks. Now, I don't know which is worse, but that's where we are. You said, yeah, I'm walking down the road. This guy pulls up. He says, are you lost? No. Are you tired? Hell yes. Um, Can I give you a lift? Yeah, sure. I'm going up that hill over there. To meet my buddy, we were hunting together, Scott Linden. And Mark says, I know that guy. Yeah. So you pull up. I've never met him in my life. That's, well, I
1: used your name <laughs> so he would trust me enough to allow me to get in his truck so I don't have to walk the other four miles back to where the pond and you were.
0: <laughs> well, we had a good time. <laughs> we spent much of the afternoon next to the pond and enjoying ourselves. Let's just leave it at that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was fun.
0: Oh, my God. So, anyway, thank you, Mark, for giving Ben a lift because he might still be out there, or at least his bleached bones might still be out there.
1: But, yeah, it's funny, though, uh, when Bernie was getting birdie and then uh, those Huns got up on the other side of this brushy creek bottom that she was working, I didn't shoot because, well, I I shot after, like, the 10th one got up in a covey of 20. Wow. And they were on the verge of being out of range because I just couldn't believe that. There were Huns where I was, yeah. and then I watched where they went down, and then Bernie just made an amazing find, you know, finding them. She got on the right side of the wind, and then they got up all around me, and I was able to shoot one. Danear shot its wing and head off. I shot oh. one wing off. got the head off of it, and I probably should have shot a double, but that's okay, and then I didn't even worry about where they went. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? These guys are not where they usually are. Yeah, whatever. This was a really nice bonus. It was. That was was a great day.
0: I mean, uh, like I said, for the last two seasons, uh, they've just surprised the heck out of me.
1: Um, I like how adaptable they are. They're an amazing bird. They are. I think really, I mean, I go back and forth whether or not I prefer Chucker or Huns. You know, the thing about Huns is, man, they make your dog look so good when they're on point. I agree. And, uh i really like how quickly they get up and out of there and just the the wing shooting you never know which direction they're gonna go and they go from zero to their top speed 40 miles an hour whatever's on the wing like in a heartbeat i don't think any bird gets up faster and they will fly uphill that same speed that they'll fly downhill where chucker if you get below them and they fly you know they're gonna fly around you and if they do have to fly over your head or you know like uphill a little bit, it's a much easier shot than it is with a hun. And I appreciate the hun, and I like the flavor of the hun a little bit more than chucker because it's a little bit darker, yeah. And um, you can actually taste it a little bit more.
0: No, I, I can't argue that. I've shot hun more complex in, in four states. Yeah. Um, I love them for all sorts of reasons. I hate them because they're they're kind of in between quail and chucker size. Yeah. So your head is. To-
1: totally bedazzled you can't tell how far away they are oh, especially if you shoot one-eyed clothes. yeah yeah or like with you because yeah. you're cross-eyed don- yeah. dominant you have to shade your uh your left eye yeah and that messes up your depth perception it, i can see absolutely. that being hard yeah. yeah
0: the other thing is um i'll echo that i i shot some huns in montana this has been eight or ten years ago on a tv shoot i couldn't uh i couldn't clean them and or dress them out until i got to south dakota right i remember the story four or five four or five days
1: yeah they were on
0: ice the whole time right i i gave them to the guys because i had some guys who were doing that for me over there um and and i brought them home frozen and they were the best birds i ever ate
1: yeah i believe it yeah
0: and and part of it was they ate they they hung if you will for four or five days yeah Uh, But part of it was because they were Hungarian partridge as well. But you mentioned something, and I mentioned it too with Mark. And by the way, Mark, thank you. I'm sorry we couldn't pull pull together that last trip this season, but um, you owe me one on the record. No, I probably owe you
1: three or four. But um, yeah, Mark takes you to... Private ranches to hunt scats. Yes, yes, you he does. owe him.
0: Yes. And then <laughs> and then we see herds of a hundred elk.
1: Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yes. It's always a good home when you get to see elk. I I agree. Or a really big mule deer buck. That I haven't for a while. And then you gotta keep your mouth shut though. Don't yeah, tell anybody. Exactly. Let that go. It's guy not like it matters to live me. Live long and prosper.
0: Yes. Um but that brings up one of the points that I made earlier, and that is this was a season for social peaks you know we all have something in common we all love to talk about it but but beyond that the way that all comes together uh and i'll tell a story but you tell a story first you mentioned the same thing what was it about you with other people this season that was just so cool
1: i think what it was was just seeing other people enjoy bird hunting, but also their own take on, uh, what they enjoyed about it. You know, um, I feel like the season before this last one, just coming clean, uh, knowing that Bernie, this was her fourth season, two seasons ago, uh, that, uh, I really, I had a, a goal of how many chucker I wanted to bag that, um, I thought would just be, uh, if I could beg that many, that'd be a really neat goal to, and, you know, it'd be. I I feel like I like to. I'm am a bit of a achiever when it comes to like making goals and wanting to achieve them, and just that that would really keep me on track with chucker and. But I also wanted to do it by exploring as many places as I could and not hunt another spot like you know you and I were kind of that same kick a couple of seasons ago like not hunting the same spot twice and I. I didn't hunt the same like hillside or Covey twice. Yeah, And uh, what's amazing is I, I got that number with Bernie. We exceeded it. And um, I really liked that added pressure that it took. My shooting was better than it ever was. Just she and I. just I hunted with a couple other people, but not very often. And uh, just the, the sole focus of being able to do that and still care about the resource by hunting different areas, um, and there was enough birds two seasons ago to warrant that uh, made it all all worth it. And I feel like it all worked out perfectly because, um, you know, then I met my girlfriend and uh, then, you know, the whole social thing happened. And uh, it's just been neat, like just getting out with other people, getting out, um, taking her mom and sister and niece out. And we did an, an awesome quail hunt. And we stayed at some hot springs, you know, so we did the hot spring thing in the morning and at night. I know those and, uh, hot springs. Uh, yeah. and I want to know where that quail hunt was. <laughs> I'm not telling you. And uh, it was just awesome. And just seeing, just being able to just see the joy on other people's faces and the mystique that uh, we take for granted, you know. And I think after two seasons ago, just Bernie and I, it almost became like, oh, there she is on point. I'm going to hustle up and get there. Bam, I'm going to shoot a bird or two. Okay, now we go to the – there Bernie goes. 500 yards away. She's about to go on point. Bam, there she's on point. You know, I'm looking at my GPS where I can see her way up on the horizon. I hurry up and I get there, make sure I get below the birds. Bam, they flush around me. I shoot one. I shoot two. On to the next one, right? Like it's almost like, like I was harvesting, right? Yes. And, yeah. and like, yeah, like the enjoyment was – like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm oh, there's I got this goal, and this is awesome, and there's a lot of birds here, and the challenge, right? But I really didn't share with very many people, like, in real life. Yeah. I had a heck of a lot more social media posts then. Yeah. But this last season, like, I had no need to post anything about what I was doing because I was sharing with other people and enjoying real life, and I just feel like uh, it was fulfilling – my freezer, is, I think, is Dane, just as full as it was the season before. And I, I I, have no idea how many birds I shot this last season. I know exactly how many birds I shot the the season before. And I don't even care to count because my cup is overflowing with what I had happened this season. And, yeah, I had some challenging moments, you know, where Bernie would go on point and uh, another dog – would totally blow up the covey. Um, and early no, on, that was pretty record, challenging.
0: None of those were my dogs.
1: No, <laughs> you know, But by the end of the season, there was one, the, the closing weekend, Bernie found a covey perfectly up on the top, right where we were parked. And I was like 10 yards from where the covey got up. And uh, a dog um, that shall remain nameless like, just came in. And he was like... Uh, with the superfly snooker off of the top ropes, like just flying into this cubby of Chucker, And I see him just like Superman into this cubby as all like 20 some birds get up and I shoot twice and don't draw a feather because I just was like in shock and awe of what I just witnessed. And uh, I didn't even get mad. And I don't know, like, yeah, I think Bernie's a little bit more steppy now than she was in the beginning of the season yeah. because she's had coveys get blown up oh, by yeah. their dogs in front of her. But um, I think with Penray's birds, she's going to be fine. And I just had to kind of get over myself a little bit, and I think I'm a better person for it. And
0: no, I'm, I'm excited is. about all of that, um, particularly the fact that you don't know how many birds you killed this year. I love that. Because it was it it's about so many other things and 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 it's so true. I um I had an experience. I I, I think I've related this, but I'm not sure. So I was I was going to go. I was invited by a, a a podcast listener to to join him in a town eh, four hours away. That he know he knows some country out there. All public access. He knows it really well he said let me show you some of those spots and in the year before we'd gone out we'd seen some spots we had a great time this year he said the same thing and i said okay great so the only place to park a travel trailer is at the fairgrounds right in town mm-hmm. which by the way if if you have a travel trailer and you're looking for places always check out the fairgrounds right um so i said well i'll be there i know you'll be at the the one motel in town because you got the only room left and, uh, so I said, all right, we'll meet at my trailer and that'll be on the way out. So we did. And so the first morning he shows up, we have a cup of coffee while we're waiting. Our friend Marco Volio shows up.
1: That guy is everywhere.
0: He says, I thought I recognized that trailer and I was driving by on the way to my hunting spot. Yeah. So we had coffee together and he went his way. We went our way next morning same thing maybe he likes my coffee i don't know mm-hmm. um i doubt it uh no, you but, make a coffee yeah, thank you yeah you would know yeah uh you've been in that trailer so so um so that morning mark says where you well, where are you guys going today and i said well we're gonna mark uh, felton says we're going over there and mark says well you know i got some private ground right over there you want to try it we said we looked at each other, think, so sure. Yeah. So we went with Mark that day. And then the next day, um, Mark and I went together on our planned one day hunt. Mm-hmm. But we had a wonderful time. And, and part of it was just because there was some happenstance. There was some serendipity. There was a little bit of kismet, if you remember those words. It, it, those are the kind of things that happened all season. Yeah. Over there southeast where I go a lot. Right. Over there at that other place that where we've gone. Mm-hmm. If you open up a little bit, if you just keep your options open, interesting things happen.
1: I have a question though. Yeah. How much of a difference is public versus private land hunting for Chucker out in the West? Vast. Is it really? I think so. The birds are just a lot more uh
0: I I don't know if it's always true. But I think that the less pressure, the more birds. I think anybody would. I think it's just like people
1: that are retired or are able to have a different schedule, where they're able to get out during the middle of the week. Yes, I think just those that day or two difference. Because I notice, like Thanksgiving Day, Uh since uh, I don't have any family out here. (laughs) Like I mean, I'm going to go hunting.
0: Uh, For the record, you were invited to my house.
1: Yeah, that's true. I was. Um, it's, It's something about being able to get out in the middle of the yeah. week and make a big difference yeah. on public birds but also I think uh you know you're talking you're highlighting like the value of private land but I think um people can get that experience on public land just if they take a little bit more uh they take the off season a little bit more serious and just make sure yeah. that they're in a good enough shape yeah. to be able to go a little bit farther than the next guy would you know um I, I feel agree. like side by sides are really starting to kind of be a detriment to, uh, to chucker hunting, especially. And, uh, if you can focus on where side-by-sides can go by looking at maps and, and hitting those spots that look like they're going to be good chucker hunting spots that, um, you're going to do really well. And I think a, a big thing, like for me is my, my fitness level definitely decreased this last year than it was the year before where I was, fitter than I've been in a while. And I just noticed that um, when I would hunt the spots that were super vertical with a lot of birds, it just took me that much longer to get to Bernie's points. And by then the birds would move a little bit more, yes. which then required Bernie as a wild bird dog uh, to like relocate like one or two too many times and then the birds would would finally take off or maybe she just wasn't able to handle standing still for 15 minutes because it's 20 degrees out and she's in snow and she's a short hair and she's like dang my feet are freezing I need to move again so I think all that makes a difference but I think if you're able to hunt effectively areas that a lot of people won't hunt um, you'll be able to really get into some good bird numbers and birds that behave well and Just that little extra can really go a long ways, I think, with bird hunting. And I don't care, you know, if you're in Wisconsin or Michigan or, you know, Georgia, the Dakotas, just find those spots and try to hunt, like, the backsides where the parking lot isn't. Like, you know, if you're in the South Dakota thing, um, that that can really make a big difference.
0: Um, You just summed it all up, and I'm I'm just going to add some icing onto your cake. Uh, By the way, you baked it perfectly well thank you um when i moved to this town i started a business newspaper and i interviewed all the big shots in town one of the big shots was a realtor who uh, had a big agency and he was dominating the market and i interviewed him and he said you know all you got to do is be 10% better than everybody else yeah and it's the same with bird hunting w- walk another half mile park on the other side of the wildlife area like you said um whatever it is go to the places other people won't go i uh, there's a particular trout stream that i love that has now been loved to death still very good but it's not as good as it was and by the way next month it will show up in fly fisherman magazine because i wrote the story but uh, (laughs) (laughs) scott well it's beyond hope that's uh, that's why i did it because i did a tv show on it 15 years ago Um, but anyway so I'll watch you know you go there now and it's like the Orvis catalog photo shoot. Everybody's there and they're all
1: styling. Well it's just like all these people from Portland yeah we know where they go hunt Chucker yeah, right And then everybody complains I mean I just listen to podcast about a guy complaining well he was kind of not complaining but kind of complaining that every whole season long every time he hunted this area, there was other vehicles there. Well, yeah, you're hunting the spot for chucker most accessible from the biggest population center in the whole state. I know so imagine, that spot. Instead of you being frustrated for two or three hours while you're hunting, why not go two or three hours further away in your car and then get into good bird hunting? Yeah. Like, well, I know gas is expensive though, so maybe that's the problem.
0: No, it's not. I mean, if you're worried about money, you're not
1: a bird hunter. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: If you do, if you, if you do, the I saw math, my
1: W two, yeah, and exactly. I was like, "Where did all that go?" So I want to, like no to
0: finish that story about that river. So, so I'm, so I show up to this river, you know, and I, I think, geez, there's nine guys in that stretch." But if I watch them for a couple of minutes, they'll miss half the spots. Yeah, and I'm going to come in right behind them. And the same holds true with bird hunting. There are, there are people who will, they'll, they'll go, and it, you know, when Felton and I were hunting that place, we rode on bikes. We did mountain bike up to the top of that place. Same thing. Most people will walk two miles. Right. Maybe three miles. If we ride four miles, we're in virgin territory.
1: You know what? This is a tip for all the people that hunt the put and take areas in Wisconsin, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York. Just watch the loop that every person takes with their out-of-shape dogs. Just sit in the parking lot and watch. They all take the same loop, right? Yeah. What you need to do is just go outside of that loop a little bit. Hit the thicker stuff. Watch where the birds all fly to and go hit that stuff and go get your two pheasant a day limit and enjoy life. I love it. That's all you need to do. You know, um,
0: we could go on and on and on, and we will at another point in time, because you're going to come back. I swear to God you're coming back. Uh, That's Ben Warner. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. I'm going to cut you loose to pour us each another one while I finish up the podcast with a couple announcements. Uh, First, Sean Couch. Sean, thank you for being such a loyal and uh, true listener and Facebook friend Sean has the best summary of this past season he says walking back to the pickup after a leg killing chucker hunt yeah sound familiar Ben When when I look at the GPS to learn my dog is on point back at the top of the hill it almost made a grown man cry any left for me Ben thanks um yeah i feel your pain no that's the end of it so we're we're sol all right but anyway so yeah sean way to go i i bet you went all the way up there and i bet you killed that bird too so congratulations um hey the upland nation podcast is brought to you in part by dr tim's natural performance dog food i got a homework assignment for you. Go to drtims.com. Read up on why your dog needs a quality mix of diverse proteins from the air, the sea, and land. That sounds like a Marine slogan, right? Yep. Staff Sergeant Ben Warner. Yeah. (laughs) He's Army. They're Marines. Anyway. Um, Find out all about why that's so important. Get free delivery, 30% off your first order. Just use the code UplandNation at D-R-T-I-M-S. Got a question for you. I won't answer it. How'd you shoot last season? You know, gun fit shooting methods and other factors affect whether your dog gives you the stink eye or not. Got that a lot this year. But I fixed it, I think. But if I haven't, I'm going back to Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School. It's a perfect place for me and my buddy Tom. You know, Tom, um, to sharpen our shooting game. We're going, taking a lesson from Dave Fiedler. You know, Dave, he was on the podcast last week. He's going to make me a master shooter. He promised. Drop in Wednesday through Sunday, 10 to 5. Shoot any of the games. They got skeet, traps, sporting clays, five stand, and fee task. Learn more at midvalleyclays.com. All right, we're on the letter C in the Upland Nation glossary. And I'm going to use a word that, yeah, if you don't have birds, you don't know this word, but you should have birds. That's the number one rule. Ben and I talked about it while we were running. Four dogs at the same time, my God! Attaching a piece of cardboard to a bird's leg—it's called carding. Now, sometimes we use other stuff. A lot of guys will use a garden, a piece of garden hose. But you know, the whole idea is if you put something on your, um, you know, training pigeon's leg that slows their flight down. Do you do that? No, because mine always make it home. Yeah, <laughs> you're a lucky guy. Um, <laughs> mine always get caught in the tree next door <laughs> um but it'll slow down or shorten the flight of your training bird so you can use it in training steadiness and that's we're going to do a lot of that this year i'm going to put a really heavy piece of um garden hose on my dog's uh birds my dog's birds i own them he just thinks he owns them <laughs> But uh, so that they'll fly, you know, twenty, thirty yards, and then drop, because that's what we're working on: steadiness to wing shot and fall. There we go. And you know all about that. That's going to be your bugaboo this summer.
1: No, she's good on that. It's it's going to good. be about the good honoring another okay. dog on point.
0: Well, carding is what we're going to do with our dogs with me and Flick this year. So uh, there's your Upland Nation glossary word of the week. And on that note, I want to thank everybody for listening, but particularly I want to thank my friend Ben Warner for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast this week. It's all brought to you by findbirdhuntingspots.com. Hey, this week the new article is Keep It Simple, Scott. Methods to communicate with your dog in ways that don't confuse your dog. Now, I'm always confused, but maybe not my dog. Anyway, it's all at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Thank you to those who have left ratings or reviews. If you're on Apple Podcasts in particular, that's how you share this podcast. Give me a, well, give me whatever rating you think, but I hope it's five stars. Thank you, Gil M3, for your recent five-star rating. I'll leave you with this. I don't know who said it because it's anonymous on the website I use, but it is so true. No home decor is complete without dog hair. Yeah, if you don't believe that, then uh, you're not really one, are you? Hey, I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you for listening. See you at the range.